Hebrews chapter 1 teaches us that the Lord Jesus is greater than the angels because he's the Son of God. He's greater than the angels because he's the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 2 teaches us that he's greater than the angels because he's the Son of Man. So just a little tweak there, just a little difference. Son of God in chapter 1, Son of Man in chapter 2. And that's where we're coming to tonight and we want to think about the Lord Jesus as the Son of Man. There are many verses that describe him as the Son of Man. There's that lovely verse, and there, every word is just one syllable, and we, we, we know it off by heart, don't we? For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. A lovely verse that's so simple that even the wee tiny tots could learn it. The Son of Man. Thank God tonight... We are here to worship the Son of Man. And we love the Son of Man. We love the Lord Jesus who became a man. And that's where I want to start tonight in Hebrews chapter 2. He became like us. Let me just hang that heading up first of all in tonight's study. The Son of Man became like us. He's the Son of Man because... He became like us. Now I told you that you would need your Bible tonight. So look down there at verse 9. But we see Jesus. Who was made a little lower than the angels. So there he is becoming like us. He was made a little lower than the angels. Verse 11. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. What it's saying there is that those who are redeemed are united in the, uh, with Christ in the sense that we're all human. The Savior was a real person. He was a real human being. He was really one of us. He became like us. We are all of one. And then look at verse 14 now. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. So there it is again, this emphasis on the fact that the Son of Man became like us, the ones who needed saving were human beings made of flesh and blood. And the Lord Jesus became a human being and he took upon himself flesh and blood in order that he might rescue us from our sins and ultimately from eternal hell. We are so glad that the fire and rescue service were out last night rescuing people from the floods and people who were trapped in their homes who needed rescuing 
And the fire and rescue service were there and we thank God for them and we pray for them in their great work. But there's a lot of people tonight in the world and they need rescued from the floods of sin. Only they don't realize it. Because they're dead in trespasses and sins and they're blind, spiritually blind. Blind as a bat spiritually. We were out for a walk the other night. Took the dogs up the hill for a walk. And lo and behold, didn't we see a bat? It wasn't even dark. It was just kind of starting to get dark. But the bats were out. But there's people today and they're blind as a bat, spiritually speaking. They just can't see what all the excitement is about this man called Jesus. But what needs to happen, folks, is that a miracle needs to take place. The Holy Spirit alone can perform the miracle when he comes to a blinded sinner and he gives them, gives them spiritual sight. And only then will they see the beauty of Jesus. It's like blind Bartimaeus on the roadside there coming into Jericho. Who was the first person that Bartimaeus saw when he got his sight? It was Jesus. The first face that he looked into was the face of Jesus. What a face that was. You know, it's only when the blindness is taken away that sinners realize the loveliness of Jesus. And they say with the, with the, the song of Solomon, this is my beloved, this is my friend, and he's altogether lovely. Then I want you to go down to verse 16 now. Verse number 16. Hebrews 2 and verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. So there again the emphasis is on the humanity of the Lord Jesus. He became like us. He, he didn't become an angel because angels didn't need saved. No, he became like the ones who needed saving. So he takes on him the seed of Abraham. Mind you, Abraham wasn't perfect, was he? He's the man who went down into Egypt and lied about his wife and said, in fact, put her up to it, put Sarah up to it and said, Now you tell them that you're my sister. Abraham had his faults, but so that's why he needed a saviour. And isn't it wonderful that in John chapter 8 it tells us the Lord Jesus, in fact, himself said that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham wasn't saved by good works. A whole lot of people have that very, very peculiar notion that the Old Testament saints were saved by keeping the law. Well, it's, it's just not true. It's, it's, it's absolutely false. 
The Old Testament saints like Abraham, they were saved by looking forward to Christ and Calvary and by trusting in what he would accomplish there. The seed of Abraham. And so Jesus takes upon himself the seed of Abraham. Now verse 17. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. There's that reference again to to making. He was made like unto his brethren. My, the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary made him like unto his brethren. Made him a little lower than the angels. Made him like the seed of Abraham. Made him like one of us. What a miracle. So thank God the Son of Man who is greater than the angels became like us. Now let me say secondly tonight the Son of Man not only became like us but he identified with us. With us. He identified with us in the sense that he entered into this world of suffering. It's very interesting here. As we go through this chapter, the, the references to suffering. Did you notice it as we read it earlier? Look at verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Verse 10. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Go down to verse 18. For in that he himself hath suffered. Suffered. This is a world of suffering. Maybe some of you tonight know all about suffering. In fact, there's no maybe about it. And know what some of you are going through. And we're praying for you. But the Lord Jesus knows what you're going through. And his heart goes out to this suffering world. And that's why he became the Son of Man. And he identified with us in our suffering. I get people throwing it up to me and saying, well, if God's a God of love, why does he allow all the suffering in the world? Why is there so much suffering in this world if you believe in a God of love? Well, I, 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 I wish every question was as easy as that. Because it's a very simple answer, and the answer is, and it just sweeps away that argument of the atheist completely. Folks, you just talk about the suffering of Christ. Tell people about a suffering saviour. Tell people about a saviour who came, who came into this world and suffered from the moment that he breathed his first breath in Bethlehem's manger. 
until his last breath upon Calvary's cross, he suffered. I could keep you here tonight until midnight telling you about the sufferings of his life. Nobody was hated more than he was. And then the church today wants to be pally with everybody and wants to be to every the churches in the West today, they're trying to win a popularity contest with the world. And yet our Saviour was hated, and Martin Luther said, They gave him a crown of thorns, shall they give us a crown of roses? It's not going to happen. And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But thank God for our suffering Savior, our suffering Redeemer. He knows what you're going through tonight. I don't know exactly what you're going through tonight. Other believers don't know exactly what you're going through. But Jesus does and he can empathize with you. Notice I didn't say sympathize. You see, to sympathize with somebody means that you feel sorry for them, but you haven't gone through what they've gone through. And you can't relate to what they're going through. But when you empathize with someone, you, can, you, you, you feel sorry for them, and it's because you have gone through what they're going through. And the Lord Jesus has empathy for you in the meeting tonight who are suffering. Suffering physically, suffering emotionally, suffering through persecution, opposition. You know all the snide remarks in the home. But never forget folks that Jesus said, a man's foes shall be they of his own household. For the Lord Jesus knows what you're suffering and he's able to give you the strength that you need to keep living for him. It's interesting that last verse in Hebrews chapter 2, it says that he himself hath suffered being tempted and he is able to succor them that are tempted, it says. He's able to succor them that are tempted. The word succor is an old English word. We don't use it really today. It means to run to. To run to. Jesus will run to you, child of God, in your suffering. Why? Because he has suffered. And by his spirit, he comes to us to minister to us. It's like the shepherd. And the sheep are going into the fold at night time. And the shepherd has the ointment. And he sees the wounds on the body of the sheep. And he pours the ointment on the wound. To soothe and to comfort his sheep. That's what he does for his people, the good shepherd. The great shepherd, the chief shepherd. And you know, folks, he's going to comfort us finally someday when he breaks through the clouds and he comes for us. So isn't he wonderful, our son of man, who's greater than the angels? 
He became like us. He identified with us. Let me finish. He died for us. He died for us. Look again at verse 9. Hebrews 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Now, why, why did he become like us? Why did he identify with us? Well, here it tells us, for the suffering of death. Look at the end of the verse. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Why? That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Do you see, do you see, do do you notice all these references to death? Death, death, death. He died for us. That's why he came into the world. Some people think that Jesus came into the world to give give us an example and we would just imitate him and then we'd arrive in heaven someday. Well, that's not God's way of salvation because the reality is that we can't imitate Christ because he was perfect. And we will never be perfect this side of heaven. We'll never be sinless like him this side of heaven. No, he came into this world. He became like us. He identified with us so that he might die for us. Now let me finish tonight by saying a few things about his death. First of all, according to verse 9, his death is sufficient for all. I want you to get that. The, the, the death of the Lord Jesus is sufficient for everyone on planet earth to be saved. You see, verse 9 says that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Notice those last two words, every man. In other words, every person. Jesus tasted death for every man. And death, death doesn't taste too good. And I tell you, the death he died didn't taste good. Oh, it was bitter. Because he drunk the cup of divine indignation against our sins. The cup of wrath. We were thinking about wrath this morning in Revelation. Someday the Lord's going to pour out his wrath upon this earth and it will be fully deserved by the way but you see before the Lord pours out his wrath upon the earth he poured out his wrath upon his only begotten son and someday the Lord's going to as it were send the fire and the brimstone down upon this earth But you see, back at Calvary, he he sent the fire and the brimstone down upon Christ. And Christ took the wrath of God and he extinguished it all. Put it out, put the fire out. And that fire that burns against 
The sin of fallen man does not burn against us as believers any longer. The fire of God's holiness. Hallelujah, the Lord Jesus has dealt with it. His death is sufficient for all. He died for every man. There is no reason why people should be lost. Jesus' death is sufficient for all 8 billion people on planet earth. The death of one man has made redemption possible for every one of them. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. The Lord Jesus doesn't worry about the color of your skin. Not like the BBC, I might add. Talk about a racist organization. Given off and they're speaking now the latest shenanigans is that they're complaining about the fact that all the uh, English women's football players are all white. Racism against white people. The BBC who think that they're anti-racist are actually one of the most racist organizations around. But the Lord Jesus isn't worried about whether you're white or black or whatever. He's colorblind. Let me put it like that. Jesus is colorblind. That's the way it should be. Because when he looks at a person, he doesn't see the color of their skin. No, he just sees the fact that they're lost and they need a savior. And this wonderful son of man died for every man. His death at Calvary is sufficient for all. But then in verse 10, it it, it teaches us that his death is efficient for the elect. So it's sufficient for everyone, for all people everywhere, but it's efficient only for the elect. And uh, don't be getting all worked up and flustered about that word elect, because as one old preacher put it, he said it was like this, the elect are the whosoever will, and the non-elect are the whosoever won't. So there's nothing to get worked up about. It's a good biblical word, elect. And the death of Jesus is efficient for the elect, for those who will respond to the gospel. They will be saved. Did not he himself say, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out? He died for us. What a saviour he is, this wonderful son of man. But of course we dare not leave him on the cross. Too many people do. You see, he's not on the cross any longer. And he's not in the grave any longer. 
But he's in glory tonight. He's alive. And he's with the church triumphant. He's with all the saints who have died and gone on. Our loved ones who died in Christ, they're all with him tonight. And we're going to catch up with them by and by. And what a day that will be. Isn't it wonderful that this Son of Man, who is greater than the angels, is now, according to verse 9, crowned with glory and honor. Crowned with glory and honor. You see, that's what we were singing about earlier. In the great old hymn written by the Irish hymn writer, Thomas Kelly. Didn't we sing it? Look, ye saints, the sight is glorious. See the man of sorrows now. From the fight returned victorious. Every knee to him shall bow. Hark those bursts of acclamation. Hark those loud triumphant chords. Jesus takes the highest station. Oh, what joy the sight affords. Crown him, crown him, crown him, crown him. King of kings and Lord of lords.